back to Travel Nuggets. We have a very special guest today, author Rick Antonson, who wrote a book that I just fell in love with, Full Moon Over Noah's Ark, and it details his trek up Mount Ararat, but also his surrounding travels. Uh, It is quite an adventure. And um, I sent him an email and he accepted this invitation to come on to Travel Nuggets. Rick, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's it's an honor to be a part of, of what you're doing and to talk about travel. Great. Well, I don't know if I'd describe you as a traveler who then writes or a travel writer, but you definitely piqued my interest in exploring more of Turkey and even doing Mount Ararat someday, although we'll get into the details of what that trek was like. But could you start by giving us a quick itinerary of this trip, the trip that you document in Full Moon over Noah's Ark, and then we'll get into the details of of each spot. Well, it, it was sparked in my childhood because as with so many people, uh, various different religions or even non-religious upbringings were all aware of Noah's Ark. And I had a book on the shelf when I was a kid that was, was about Mount Ararat, where in, in Hebrew texts and in Christian texts and in Muslim texts uh, gets referenced or Noah's Ark gets referenced and that in some of the texts is where it apparently grounded according to stories. So that crept into my mind and I decided to go and hike around and ideally climb Mount Ararat unrelated to Noah's Ark but because of where it was in a remote part of Turkey and and part of the world. So I did end up as a start being in Cappadocia. And that was that was really neat. That was generated by an interest in meeting up with my wife because on an earlier trip when I went to Timbuktu, I did it all on my own and in hindsight felt a bit selfish about it. So we did have a, a few days there, after which I by train and by motor coach ended up in Eastern Turkey and eventually in a place called Dagobayazid. And that's where I, I met up with others that I did not know. And a group of us made the ascent of, of Mount Ararat, which is a 17,000 foot mountain. After that, I, through happenstance, had an opportunity to travel into Iraq and then back out of Iraq overland into Turkey, then by train into Iran which was awesome to Tehran. And from there, I I flew to London so I could meet with the British Museum. Later, I went to to, um, uh, Armenia, which was really important for me to see because it's such an integral part of the geographic, uh, uh, religious, historic uh, combative of uh, lexicon. And I, I just, I needed to be there. So that, in sort of a Reader's Digest version was the uh, was the journey. So I like how you note that you didn't go there with the intent to search for Noah's Ark, but once you got there, you got to this region of the world, it was inescapable. Everyone was asking you about it. The locals were telling you about it. And you did admit that that you don't believe that Noah's Ark is there. But what I found is that you fully embraced and wanted to learn more about how this this story, which does um, transcend into Islam, uh, 
Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, as well as other religions there, the flood story, um, you really just kind of went all in to really understand how it was important to each person you came across and how it affected what was going on in terms of culture and political dynamics in the area. Uh, could you talk a little bit more about that and what you learned? Part of, of the intrigue was what became to me, maybe surprisingly, the the sort of nudge or wink, wink, are you going to be looking for the ark? And a challenge for me as a writer was to convey the story, both the religious aspects of it and the scientific aspects of was there ever a, a magnificent flood of such magnitude without ever letting the reader think I had tongue in cheek approach to the story. And that was important to me because I came across the statistic that, you know, 30% of Americans hold the belief that the world is no more than 10,000 years old. Others who adhere to scientific research would go with the vastly different length of time. And I didn't want anyone reading it to think that I was not respecting the perspective they brought to reading the book. So in researching, I, I winnowed it down to one particular theory that relates to the Bosphorus Strait and what could have happened with a, a flood of the Black Sea so long ago, maybe thousands of years before history was written down. So what got conveyed would have been a flood told by oral history by survivors. And that was maybe how their renditions got so varied. But I could not hold myself back from reading books or I ended up in, in discussion with a paleontologist who gave my book a, a scientific read twice with an editor's mind and a scholastic mind because I am neither a scholar nor, nor an editor. I'm a, I'm a storyteller. And she helped me greatly in making sure that I not only got scientific terminology proper, but that I was respectful of any reader from any viewpoint being able to say, here's a storyteller that is giving me fact-based uh, uh, views of what might have been with a great flood in that part of the world long ago. Right. You really sought to understand it and how it came to be. And, and that respect really came through. And it is something that struck me. Um, so so I, I highly recommend the book for that reason, too. Um, before we get to Ararat, I really was taken with Cappadocia, which was that stop you made on the way. It does take a long time to get to Ararat. And in your book, you have a little subtitle under a picture that says um, that Cappadocia is Turkey's land of fairy chimneys hollowed caves and hollowed sites. And you did stay in a cave. Can you paint a picture of Cappadocia for listeners? It's gorgeous with these pillars, many of them you know, dozens of feet high and thick, thick, thick at the base. But maybe more importantly is that the stone is easily carved out in it at times, hundreds of years ago, uh, there were underground churches or hiding places for people that felt perhaps persecution was, was coming their way and they needed to be visibly out of sight. But it is, it's stunning. And I, I know it's difficult to, to listen to a travel writer use a word like stunning because it's, it's like, it's one of those overused things, but it, this, this truly 
truly is. And the cave I stayed in has a, a new front and has been fashioned so it's comfortable inside and has toilets and, and so forth. But right across the pathway, because it wasn't really a street, was a, a, a stone wall mountainside, hundreds of feet tall, that had throughout it abandoned caves dozens of them and I climbed through these and would find a corridor that went from one to another and then you'd be going in there all, all alone early in the morning and, and something would scurry out of the way but you could imagine that, that people lived there they cooked there they they knitted there they, they did their whatever craft that we would call a craft but it, it may have been the the the, the, the making of of bowls it, it could have been been the family gathered and and their versions of storytelling all happening in these caves that were were relatively shallow maybe you know the depth of a 12 foot room and and but not as wide but then as i i say it would lead off as though connected to somebody else's home or another room for that family it was an astonishing experience yeah, it sounds it. Well, I also just have to ask you travel quite a bit in your um by yourself and your tolerance for risk and adventure is very high. Is this the kind of place that uh, you know, a woman traveler could go by herself or with a group? I mean, did you feel safe walking around? Is it accessible in that way? Absolutely, Cappadocia is. In fact, it it has a bit of a travel magnet and I I could certainly see Janice who travels heaps. I could see Janice going there on her own or, or uh, with, with girlfriends. I can see couples of all ages uh, going there and, and feeling really comfortable. So it's not an out of the way place. And in fact, you can, can um, have a hot air balloon ride over the, uh, over the, the, the looks is quite a, quite a, big area though it's concentrated around the, the 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 city and then the sort of the spill out area and gets gets remote quite quickly and you can go on on walks uh and, and and feel absolutely all alone but but i would say never unsafe great um and i say that because later on in this trip you go to iraq and iran which are not places i would probably recommend going on on your own you you told some stories about getting out of, I think, Iraq that were a little bit scary. But um, <laughs> but let's get to Mount Ararat because one thing that um, is a very interesting to me about your style of travel too is that you made the focal point of your trip this hike and then, which was quite challenging, and then surrounding that built out excursions as well as um, a later trip to the Nineveh Library. So it's a very academic and scholarly trip while you made this hike the focal point. Why it, do you think that if you do getting out into nature, you know, pushing yourself physically, doing um, this adventure amidst your travels, why is that important um, in terms of building out the whole experience? I think for a traveler, the more you don't know about a place, the more you are trying to avoid maybe the well-known places, but you, you want to do something that you're not sure if you can. Like I didn't tell anyone other than that I was going to be going trekking on Mount Ararat. 
I didn't mention that I had joined an expedition of a handful of people to try and make the ascent. And I think that was a lack of self-confidence or not wanting to be mocked if a challenge wasn't met. But it the challenge drove me to physically train, to mentally, emotionally train, and to seek out the right guide to get us to the, 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 the top of the mountain. It seems worthy of a traveler to be doing things that alarm you and run the risk of catching you off guard. Another motive for me was trying to get, as, as you said, to the library at, at Nineveh, because uh, one of the documents that underlines early flood stories before the writing of, of Hebrew texts or the, the ones used in the Christian Bible as well, and, and the Koran, long before that, there were flood stories. So they had been found at the Library of Nineveh. I never actually was able to get to the Library of Nineveh because once in Iraq, it was simply too dangerous to go there. So returning to Ararat, the, it was on my way to trying to get to Iraq, to trying to get the Library of Nineveh, the latter one not fulfilled. But it seemed that if I was going to complete this journey, I really needed to be on Ararat. And if I could be on it, why not stand on the top? Because at the top of Ararat, you are in Turkey and you look down on Armenia and you look over on Iran and you're not far from Iraq. So it's it's um, quite a, a spiritual in a non-religious term, emotional, maybe a better better word experience well and from what i understand in the book the altitude affected your vision you were so high up there that you lost vision for several hours you know it, and that was not something i anticipated but having talked to other climbers and i'm not i'm not a climber i've long been a hiker i've done lots of of camping i've spent nights out all on my own all of that but I, and I've been to the summit of other mountains in, in Canada, but I am not a mountain climber. And this is not a, a technical climb, though we did use ropes for, we had ropes there. Uh, we were, you know, we, we wore crampons when we were in the, the, the snow and, and on the ice, but you needed to be physically fit. But coming down my, off the steepest part, my eyes went blurry, and I do write about this in the book, and with the benefit of, of having had medical attention from specialists afterwards and having had explained to me that it's, it's altitude-related, it is something that, that avid climbers are uh, familiar, could be a situation, and may encounter, and what a more knowledgeable climber would, would have understood is that a bit of pause and rest can, can restore it, particularly as you get to lower altitude. But my situation was I, I, I might I might say embarrassed or I did not want to hamper the descent of others, and we were on a, the descending trail. I could make out who was ahead of me because I could recognize a shape, but I couldn't have recognized their face. And I didn't say anything to anyone, including my sort of tent mate, full name Ian, uh, until we were down at the end, and I, I we got back to camp. So I it was awkward and I did I hope I didn't compromise the descent of others uh, well it's it is a great story to tell and certainly um exemplifies how much you earned 
that victory over Ararat. I feel like it's just such a huge accomplishment. And one thing you did talk about in the book too, is the relationships and the camaraderie that you built with your fellow hikers and um, how much that sort of made the trip. And, and um, even, you know, they weren't locals, but they came from all over the world. And just the idea that you were encouraging each other, uh, that seemed to be a, an impressionable experience for you as well. Yeah, and I would phrase it slightly different. I think in most cases, they built that camaraderie with me rather than me building it with them. And I think that if a traveler can bring, as I would hope to bring, an openness to what may unfold and a willingness to park the inevitable prejudgments, prejudices that we that we carry with us from growing up, from where we live, from maybe dollars in our wallet when you're meeting with others who don't have dollars in the wallet everything if one can step aside from that and look at what is coming in my experiences have, have been that most often other people will help you they will um, reach your way they will verbally as well as physically if they have to help you with a, too heavy of a pack and in this instance whatever it is and so I, I would accord the respect to them for their openness and willingness to make me feel participant in their views, their ideas, their quest to get to the top of Ararat. And those who were helping us, guides, porters, uh, cooks, they, they all had such a willingness to come out of their own corner or role or job and talk or add humor or sing and make what was happening incredibly special so that on many, many occasions, I felt like I was having a one-off understanding of time, place, people. And then isn't that what travel's all about? Well, yeah, that segues to my next observation about the way you travel. And I do think that your openness and approach does open the door for a lot of these cool experiences that you have. Can you tell listeners about how you ended up in Iraq and the man you met at the pharmacy? This is serendipity is the best friend a traveler can have. And there are always a dozen reasons not to do something particularly if spontaneity is involved. But the one reason to be spontaneous or to respond to a serendipitous occurrence is the answer to the question, wow, where could this lead? So the, the short version of, of my encounter was days, literally two, three days before I was leaving for Ararat or leaving for, for Turkey. I was picking up some altitude sickness medication to have with me. And at the pharmacy, the pharmacist asked me, so where are you going to use this? And when I mentioned Ararat in Eastern Turkey, a fellow who had just come up behind me, young fellow, 20s, said, oh, you'll love it there. And I turned around, astonished, I said, have you been? He said, no, but he said, my, uh, my family's from northern Iraq and it's, you know, the geography is similar. He said, it's, it's. It's stunning. In fact, my dad was just there, he says. So I waited for him and we walked out and he connected me with his father. I met up for coffee and his father introduced me to family 
of theirs living in Erbil in, in northern Iraq, a, a place which actually the, the is being yet again um, evacuated from of, of foreigners because it's it's become a hotspot. But it wasn't a military hotspot at, at, at that time. And so I got a plane ticket on a periodic flight and in I went and the family met me and would not let me stay anywhere but in one of their homes and they drove me all over to places in the the the, the, the mountains that the, the Zagros mountains that I would never have gotten to would not have been safe for me to go on my own and then they drove me back a few days later overland avoiding my repeated request to try and go in and see the library of, of Nineveh at Mosul and got me back and I crossed the border into uh, in, into Turkey so again, the, the the occurrence was here's a chance, absolutely out of the blue, and going with it led to one of the great um, travel eye-opening uh, sessions of, of of my life. Well, and I think that that also gives you a very um, unique view of what of travel people go to these places to see what it's like and you hear from people they'll they'll always ask where the locals eat and what do the locals do um but you really do put yourself in in a position to um fully you know delve into where the how the locals live um and and that segues to another story i want to talk about and that is your train ride with um this farmer who didn't speak English and you shared some soup. And I'd love for you to tell that story. And the reason is is because you really do um, kind of meld in with with the lifestyle there, the the culture, and and don't even have a trace of just judgment or even, you know, disgust, um, which I felt as I was reading about this soup. Um, Could you tell us about the farmer you met on the train and and how you, you know, clicked with him? Well, we... we ended up sharing a compartment. I'd actually noticed him at the station while we were waiting for the late arrival of, of the train. And he, he had a sort of a, um, a physical aura around him, but a bit of, a, of an odor from, I, I later realized sort of the foods he was, was carrying. And I picked up some sausages and there were some sliced, some not. I picked up some cheeses. I, I had you know, some stuff to take with me. And on the train, we ended up just the two of us in this compartment. And he began to unpack and and then mix into um, a sort of Noah's Ark soup as it as it turned out. I, I, I learned a little bit then and, and researched more later. That's sort of musical, but it's got vegetables in it and and it's mucky and you you i thought that it looked like if you left it long enough it would set hard enough to to um secure a wall or hold a post up a flag post it was it just looked like it was was morphing towards concrete but but then it was it was soupy at the same time as he added more liquid in and and i couldn't resist tasting i i will eat almost anything. I do not enjoy onions. But if this had onions in it or not, uh, I took, took my share of it. I shared what I could uh, of what I had. And some of it, he, he actually 
chop that and, and put in to mix because it has found uh, additions to his what I thought was quite a flexible recipe and and you can't go into a restaurant and order up something like that it it was of the moment it was was close to the earth cooking and and um, my great good fortune was being able to to uh, to sample it and and just see the story in this man's eyes and our sort of jousting in two different languages but carrying on a conversation that that we reaffirmed one another with nods as though we actually knew what the other person was saying it was it was both uh, surreal and opportunistic but uh, just to be treasured well i loved that story and um i also was very taken with your haircut philosophy i'm going to call it the haircut philosophy but <sighs> if i can read um just a very quick quote that you wrote i find barber shops irresistible there are there are few more honest places to hang out than where one's hair is cut. Prices are unusually set and posted, so tricky wording does not enter the encounter. You want a cut, you get a cut. Deal. In barbershops, the music is what the owner wants to hear, and usually that music's local. It's also here that televisions are frequently on, giving you an indication of uh, an indication of, li- of the life that surrounds. Mostly, though, it's the other patrons who set the scene. Could you tell me more about your adventures in getting haircuts and um, what, yeah, that is, you did write a book about it, actually. So um, I'll just turn it over to you. Tell us more about that. Well, the the book title that, that you're referencing is To Timbuktu for a Haircut. And the subtitle is A Journey Through West Africa. And when I was a little kid, five years old, six years old, every time our dad would be leaving home, we would say, where are you going, daddy? And he would invariably say, I'm going to Timbuktu, I'm going to Timbuktu to get my hair cut. And you know, as a child, I, I believed that was what he was doing. And even though he wouldn't return with hair cut, he was kind of bald, even as a young father. But it struck me that one day I would go to Timbuktu to get my hair cut. And that, that's become part of, I, I get haircuts all over the world. If it can be on a street part or if I can go into somewhere in Libya, I can just think of all sorts of Mongolia, I will get a haircut because it, it, what I think occurs, what I know occurs is that wherever I get a haircut, was exactly the same the day before I was there and would be exactly the same the day after. The only difference is that onto this stage set, I walk and I enter a scene that already has characters, patrons, barber, barbers in a bigger shop, has all of their local gear because some cut quite differently than others do. And Yet when you are there as a, a foreigner to an occurrence, and if I'm talking about 30 times to an occurrence, everyone defers to you. So if I walk in and others have been waiting an hour, half an hour, 10 minutes, whatever, they kind of shrug and ask you to go first, almost as though they want to watch your reaction to the unfolding of the scene you're about to be a part of. So you're a curiosity. You're treated with 
respect. It's not about the cash register ring. They know they're going to get some money from you. Maybe if you're a foreigner, you're going to tip and locals don't tip stuff like that. But it's, it's a, 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 a situation where you're in the hands of a craft person who is about to treat you and your hair with respect while you're listening maybe to blaring music that you've never heard before, or you're watching a, a local sitcom on television, or you're listening to the banter of people who know each other well enough because they're in there every three weeks for their own haircut or something. And there it is. And the other thing to maybe the place to close is on, on the barbershop bit is that I found, I, I just indicate, give me a haircut like somebody else in there or whatever the barber thinks. So I've gone in with long hair and come out with uh, almost uncomfortably short hair. I've, I've come out with one side done differently from the other. And I look around and I might see somebody else and one of the other two or three patrons waiting with somewhat similar haircut. So it's not about going in and trying to get the haircut you might get from your local barbershop at home. It's going in and saying, cut my hair, however you would cut the next guy's hair or however you cut the last guy's hair. And it's, it's odd to say that a haircut is stimulating, but it, it you are in a little travel capsule that you will forever remember because meals blur, but, but haircut being under the, the, the sharp weapons of somebody else that you, you intuitively trust that's that you've got heightened, sensitivity and it's 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 awesome it actually it just struck me it's sort of like a souvenir that dissolves it's like a, a rick antonson souvenir you come what, back with a crazy wonderful haircut. phrase <laughs> wonderful phrasing i like that i might poach that <laughs> go ahead um so i just wanted to get back to Painting a picture of the um, interior of Turkey. So many travelers go to Istanbul, usually on a Greek cruise, you know, Greek island cruise. Uh, but as Travel Nuggets tries to do, we go a little further. Um, and I was in Istanbul and um, Ephesus, actually, in Turkey. Oh, yes. yes. Ephesus was, I mean, it blew me away. Everybody talks about Istanbul and it's certainly crowded. But when I think of my trip to Turkey, I have just, it's, Ephesus was so enchanting it was like going back in time in history it was just envisioning this world it was just so different than Istanbul so much less urban but um it was kind of like Roman roads and architecture there um in the middle mm. so can you tell us more about Van and the different spots of interior Turkey that you went um because you did note in one, you were very surprised. You said, oh, you know, I always assume that I'm not going to have traffic when I go to these more remote places, but they are fairly urban. Um, can you just tell us more about the places you went in Turkey and what it was like and how you were surprised, maybe? The, the unfortunate part to begin with is, is that some of these places are now more dangerous or just less able to be traveled to. And I, that, that's unfortunate. Uh, one can't climb on Ararat, let alone go to the summit. Now I've sort of stayed in touch with, with uh, the guy that, that uh, took us and the fellow that made some of our arrangements and, you know, their businesses have all faltered because of the, the, the it's a Kurdish area and the, the Turkish government is opposed. There, there's a, a, a group of, of Turkish fighters that are, are 
cast uh, as a, a, a terrorist group, and it's so it's un, it's uncomfortable. And while I was there during a period where it could be climbed, dozens of years ago it wasn't able to be climbed, and now again it it can't be. The same is true for some of the area where one travels. I went overland back into from Iraq to 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 Turkey. There are a number of routes back to Van, two major ones. And one was at the time blocked off because of military activity. Now would be more difficult to, to risk going, going through. Van itself was a surprise for me. I, I try to know where I'm going, but not over-research in advance, particularly in the current times where you can go to Google Earth and everything. Because if, if you know too much, it takes takes away the aha moments that, that travel alone can 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 gift one. And so I, I like those moments. So I wasn't aware that Van is a good size city and a, a part of a trading area and where you know there's there's a, such a range of accommodation. Uh, some of it comfortable I stayed in a place that you know had a swimming pool and things that I don't think I was having in mind when I first arrived there. And to be downtown, the, the traffic was plentiful. And so when you're walking on the side of the streets, some of the pavement goes into gravel. And in other places, when you try to walk on the sidewalk, you'd go along for 100 paces and then actually step two feet down on concrete slabs to get down to gravel paved road and then climb back up onto a sidewalk. It was not a place that would, would be friendly for those that had any um, walking hesitations or had uh, walking abilities that required perhaps a, a, a use of a, of a cane or a pole, uh, let alone a wheelchair. And that, that struck me how much in, say, North America and many European cities um, we now, with any mobility impairment or, or age hesitation, uh, we can get around. That, that wasn't what I felt about bad yet. Everywhere there was smell of, of, of food and baking and all manner of, of things all day long. And it was Ramadan, so I, I would be one of the few that would would eat, but the others were had eaten early in the morning before sunrise or were finding goods to take home for uh, for dusk and food. So just visually, so you described the roads as some paved, some dirt. Were there ever any high rises or was it kind of shorter buildings? Is there a skyline? I mean, the way I, I was trying to wrap my head around what van looks like visually. So I, I'm, I'm going to borrow another of your phrases. I, I would say there there was not a skyline. Of course, there there was, but I think your implication is, you know, where were there pokes of of you know ten story buildings, and I don't I don't recall that. I I, I sensed I was on a uh, on, on the streets that were one level buildings, maybe two level buildings, and and, and they, they were everything. There, there would be a sort of a uh, plumbing shop next to a food shop uh, next to a. A clothes cleaning place. It was, it was, it was, I once heard the, 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 the phrasing, uh, a studied disarray. It almost looked like somebody had 
gone by and said, how do we make this eclectic? How do we uh, surprise the eyes of a traveler and, and all the senses of a traveler, the smells and everything. And it was, was different as you walked along. And one of the things I can say, I, 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 and I'm recalling it right now, is I always felt my, my vision was at eye level. And you know what it's like if you're on a street where there are towers and they're blocking out the sun and everything else, you're, 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 you look up and I, I just have no, um, no sense that I was um, intrigued by looking up. It was all around me, the, the, the colors, the people, the, 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 just listening to the chatter. Uh, it was, it, it was one of the places that, even if you're anticipating the next day or the rest of your journey or whatever, it forces you almost in an overwhelming way to, as the Japanese say, be here now. And you are consumed by being where you are, when you are there. And, and that's something that life doesn't, doesn't um, provide for most of us. We're always kind of, where do I have to be for the next meeting or do I have to phone somebody? Do I have to be there in, I would say in Van and in other places in Turkey, you would sort of be like all your expectations were on pause because things were just happening all around you and you had to be alert in a, in a very good way. So people are busy and they're going places, cooking. What is the, source of income there do they have industry you know, where are people off to so a, 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 a few things uh, one is is the uh, the you know, sort of the the rural uh, food provision whether whether that's that's through animal husbandry or or growing of crops so there's that but there's also the the uh, workings of a functional city where if you happen to have a job in banking or you're working for a telecommunications firm or you're in government employee, you need all of these other things. Thus, you end up with a, a street of providers. What appeared to me to be independently owned businesses would often get called mom and pop businesses, family businesses. Uh, maybe with people living uh, above the shop or, or, or living nearby, but it was the the availability of all manner of not uh, we could call them consumer goods, but but the necessities of of life, whether that's your 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 foodstuffs or your your shoeing or repairs to your shoes or or uh, the the leather goods if you wanted to make your own shoes that that type of thing. And so the, the variety of storefronts um, was, was just, just brought a, a happy gleam to your eyes. And, and, and of course, with the benefit that absolutely none of the names were familiar to my Western um, experiences, all, all the, the stores, the, 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 the telecom, the, the uh, banking machines, everything was in in names that were wholly unfamiliar to me and and isn't that another way when you when you feel that you're traveling instead of being a tourist yeah for sure so 
Take us more on the bigger picture landscape of the interior of Turkey. Um, I saw that you, or I read that you you saw a lot of monasteries. Um, mm. There's a, a big lake that is um, pretty well known. Tell us more about the lake and just for listeners that might consider, you, you did say it's unsafe at this point, but what are some of the top highlights of interior Turkey? And I, I know that's not, that might not be an accurate word. I just think of everything as anything beyond Istanbul is. Mm, yeah. Well, so one thing I, I would say, and I, I don't know the current stats, but I know a year ago when I checked on it, the, actually the train I was on from a place called Kaysen to, uh, to Tepban was, um, was a suspended service. So perhaps it's back on now, as I read about it in the book, when I was on it, the, the train journey was aborted. We were, had to, transfer to find uh, motor coaches uh, and and it turned out later that, that was because of a um, terrorism threat on, uh, on on the rail tracks but travel by train in the interior of turkey is is just it's it's again it's 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 for the eyes it's for the ears it's it's for being a part of something where almost all the other travelers are from 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 there and and you're the one from elsewhere but you've sought elsewhere and it's with them. And so that's, that, that's, that's, that, that's really neat. But I also traveled by, by car because I, I had to get a ride with a guy who was a taxi crossing the border from, from Iraq into, into Turkey was how I did that. And then he ended up dropping me off where I could eventually with some difficulty end up on a, a, a motor coach and and part of that was at night so i wasn't seeing the landscape but i was with a bunch of you know, a dozen or, or whatever other wide awake people on this kind of chaotic drive and they stopped midway for for um, a washroom break and, and sitting on low stools having tea talking with one or two people who could speak english and translate what was going on around me and then back on the, the motor coach. So I, I, I would say, as with so many other places, the people in these countries are, they're, they're refreshing. They're, they're, they're like us. They, they, they want what we want for family. They want a, a roof over their head. They like health care of some sort they, or availability of health, health um, services when they need it. They like food. They like a soccer pitch for their kids to play on. They like education for family. These are the things. It's, it's in countries that, that get worrisome for travelers, it's usually that the leadership is, 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 um, is, is at fault. And you can look at that all over the world. The, the comfort that comes to travelers is by being among the locals because the locals are, are they are what, 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 what you see. They're, 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 they're genuine and, and they're almost always hospitable pickpockets and ne'er-do-wells aside, but most people want your journey in their country to be happy for you. And if they can contribute, they, they do. Yeah, I think that that's a great point um, that the locals want you to be happy in their country because one of the other ways I often get hooked on or fixated on a travel destination is when I meet somebody who just raves about where they're from. Uh, And so my next trip to Armenia is largely the result of um, somebody I met on a plane who is going to do birthright Armenia. 
And oh, wow. um, yeah, and she, I had no idea how rich I mean, and, and embarrassed to say, um, but she just, I said, we were, I was going to Africa and then she was going to Armenia after this layover in um, Qatar. And she just, she, her, she was shocked. I didn't know all there was to Armenia had to offer. And she just wrote these notes for me and it was a year ago. And ever since I just said, I've got to go to Armenia because she was so passionate about it. Um, and, and so my flight's fucked I'm going in July. Well, I, I, I commend you for doing that. It's not a place that gets the numbers of, of, of visitors that, that, that it deserves for a variety of reasons, including its, its history, its culture, its foods, it's, it's everything else that is, that is there for, for one like yourself exploring the country. And yet it's also had very harsh times. And, you know, there's a, a fence, literally a border fence between Mount Ararat and Yerevan, the, the capital of, of, of Armenia, and so Armenians can see this mountain that, that to them is the signature of their nationhood, but it's actually in Turkey and they can't go directly from Armenia to Turkey. And it once was, was part of the Armenian uh, national setup and, and they've, they've lost that. And because of the, the disagreements between Turkey and Armenia, there is this, uh, this, this obstruction. I, I felt um, embarrassed that I did not know more about the Armenian genocide before my trip to Turkey. And I can say that my book actually is not allowed in Turkey because, and could be confiscated if someone was traveling and, and reading it, because in Turkey there is a law against writing or having on public video production or news commentary any reference to the Armenian genocide, uh, which took place sort of think the end of the First World War and, and was atrocious. But the Turkish government does not acknowledge that it took place and literally bans or confiscates anything that uh, makes reference to this. I did not know much more than the term and uh, rough draft of of that history, uh, which is, is an appalling story. And I, I write a fair amount about it in, in uh, Full Moon Over Noah's Ark, and then going to Armenia and learning more about it. But again, Armenia, if, if, you, if you hanker as you do for history, for um, a, 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 sort of the, 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 the back streets or, or uh, visually entertaining, um, people attire, uh, food displays in, in, in stores or um, restaurants. It, it's just, it's all, and music. It's, um, boy, you, you will love Armenia. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> and I will certainly cover it on Travel Nuggets when I'm back. Um, so actually, I have a pop question or pop quiz for you before I let you go. Um, okay. And I've been meaning to look this up. Do you know what van means? Because I did notice there's a town named Van. Yerevan is the capital of Armenia. Do you happen to know its origins? I do not. And I actually live in the city of Vancouver, which of course takes its name from 
the Dutch explorer George Vancouver. So I'm going to venture they're wholly unrelated. And <laughs> because, you know, it's not as though during the colonial days of, of, of Europe that the Dutch were an influence there. So I do not know that. And uh, you've now, as you have with so many of your questions, and I think you've, you've sparked another note that I'm making here out of, out of curiosity. And I will try and, um, I will try and find that out as well. And I'll, 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 I'll drop you a note, but you know, there's tap van, there's Lake van, there's van. Yeah. The yeah. Cape train I was on was the Vangola express, but then that took its name from van. So the origination of that, and it's a, a very large lake. I took a, a ferry a boat, uh, a, um, a sort of, um, about both those transferring goods, commercial goods, uh, across the lake, and it was a, a about a four hour hour journey. But that will be will um, be interesting to know. Thanks for the question. Well, you you referenced your dad early on, and my dad is um, a big inspiration for my travels and a lot of my questions. We we talk a lot about esoteric things like that, and he, um, you know, Stan means place. So Afghanistan, mm-hmm. place of the Afghan. Right. Istanbul. So then it got me thinking, I thought, well, Van keeps coming up. So I'm sure that means something. And I'll, I'll ask when I'm over there as well, and we'll see if we can figure it out. Mm-hmm. But, um, but anyway, just wrapping up, this book is called Full Moon Over Noah's Ark, and it is by Rick Antonson, and I highly recommend it. It's just beautiful writing and insight into an area of the world that so few venture. Um, so Rick, thanks again for joining us and you will surely be back. I understand. We'll definitely have you back to talk about Timbuktu. Thank um, you. And I understand you have another book coming out. Do you want to tease it or should we leave everyone in suspense? I can tease it. It comes out in fall of, of 2019, uh, published by Skyhorse Publishing out of New York. It's actually been announced on Amazon sites and Barnes and Noble and, and uh, chapters in Canada and some places in Europe and, and in Australia. It is, it is walking with ghosts in Papua New Guinea. And the subtitle is crossing the Kokoda trail uh, in the uh, last wild place on earth. And it was a wonderful Trek, which forms the travel narrative. So, and that was on Kokoda Trail, which is something that is not as widely known about when you get outside of Papua New Guinea and Australia as it as it should be. And that is what Travel Nuggets is all about: shining light on these places people don't really hear about. So, again, thank you so much for joining us. And I, I know you have some travels coming up, so good luck with that. Take thank lots you. of notes, and um, we'll look forward to having you back. I love what you're doing and you've left me inspired to read more and do more. And I, I, I thank you for that. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Travel Nuggets. I'll post more information about this episode, including helpful links on the Travel Nuggets website. Please visit travelnuggetspodcast.com. There you can check out additional episodes or download them wherever you get your podcasts. And I'd love to hear your feedback and ideas. You can email me at travelnuggetspodcast at gmail.com.